Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 27 of Cardboard Time. This is Arwin. And this is Justin back after three wow. months plus hiatus, I guess. No kidding. I don't even remember what it's like. Justin, why are you here? Why am I here? I don't know. I mean, why? other than the other than the existential question of why are we all here, there is a very special reason that you're here. It's maybe more why I've been gone, but well, yes. Well, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we so, got to... So, we got... God, duh. Can we, can we redo that? Do we need to? This is pretty typical. It, it, it is, is. It's just like old I times. was I was going to mention that it is our one-year anniversary show first. Oh, oh. Yeah. Because okay, that's maybe, first yeah. in the show notes, yeah. sir. Yeah. Show notes. Um, I can't read, which we'll yeah. get to on, on line three of show notes. On line why three, I can't read why right you now. can't read. <sighs> okay, yes. Why I am back. Yes. Is because this is our one year anniversary show. Mm-hmm. And I had to go check. I was like, was I even on the first episode? So I, I looked and, and yes, I was. And I made it about two minutes through. And now I'm wishing I'd forgotten that I was there again. But anyway, well, we've, was, we've grown. We've we grown. I we've hope. progressed, Jeez. I believe, I think. Mom um, says we're doing okay. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Tell her I said hi. <laughs> oh, this is going to be either full of editing or I'm not going to touch this at all and capture <laughs> yeah, we, everything. We, we might just do this Ex- over. It's exactly. all, you know, it's, it feels like we've been doing this forever, but it's only two minutes. I'm going to ask, can we talk about where you've been for all yeah, this time? So, yeah, that was what was on my mind. But we've got mm-hmm. a baby in the house and oh, boy. Congratulations. Ooh. Yeah, congratulations, of course. Thank you. Um, but, uh, wow, he keeps us busy, so he's taking a nap right now. Will we get this episode recorded? Probably not. But Who knows? we're gonna we're gonna do what we can. Yeah. Um, yeah, geez, we'll I haven't even, I haven't even played hardly any games until I think I played like one game of dice miner, which I think we need to talk about in another episode until you reminded me that board game arena has turn-based games for play. Mm-hmm. So thank goodness I can do that. and, we're just sitting there refreshing the page waiting for you to play again while I'm kicking a stroller with my foot for two hours. Exactly. You send yeah. me messages on Facebook Messenger yeah, like, like it's like it's your get on. Come it's on. your turn. It's your turn. Please. Please. It's your turn. It's like then I'm doing something. I'm playing an actual in person game with real people. No, but I got but I got turn base. You gotta play the turn base game. Yeah, I'm that's very dying true. over here. It's been better than nothing, and it has gotten us to the point that we've been able to do some gaming and some things that normally we wouldn't be able to do, because I think you're still being very cautious yes. uh, right yes. now, and, and you know, it's, it's just nice to be able to do things like that. Being cautious, let alone not having a lick of time. So. Exactly, exactly. Well, you got to get the stuff in when you can then. But you know what? I'm pretty sure this whole episode is due to us playing turn-based games on BGA. So. I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> I think that's I'm, how we pulled this off. I think it is. Well, let's go back to our beer of the day. And one thing that I wanted to talk about was the Fruitful Fort by Dogfish Head Craft Brewery. I had that with Craig when he came over last Sunday, and this one really, really snuck up on me. It had an ABV of 18%. Oh oh my. Yeah, no kidding. And it did not taste like it at all. Uh, Apparently I had it New Year's Eve in 2019. I went up to Sandusky, Ohio and visited our friends Mike and Elaine up there with Allie. And apparently I forgot that I had it. So that was probably the 18% that was kind of talking at that point. I definitely liked it again this time. Uh, It was really fruity. Uh, lots of raspberry and blackberry, but there was way more going on than that as well. Uh, very complex and very interesting balance of flavors. The sweeter side did kind of seem to mask how boozy it was, and I gave it a four and a half. This that's, was that's high for us. 
Oh, that's very high for me. That was really, really good. And I really like it when Craig brings over beers because normally they're pretty awesome. I I think he has a above average track record when it comes to bringing beers over. So he is more than welcome to uh, continue to do so. All right. Well, I have managed to have a beer or two in this past three months. Um, I thought I would share what I thought about Founders Oktoberfest. It's very Oktoberfesty. I, I don't know how you describe that <laughs> flavor profile, but it's Oktoberfest are some of my favorite beers. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't bad, but it's not my favorite. So I thought I'd scroll through my untapped list. And I do believe, if I recall, Flying Dogs October Dogtoberfest is one of my favorites. And Leinenkugels is kind of a not bad fallback and go-to for me. I don't know if anybody else <laughs> feels that way, but <laughs> there is one that I don't know. Well, no, two. Two that are very local, so I don't know how many people can get these, but um, Hopping Frogs, Oktoberfest is always solid. And then mm-hmm. down in Millersburg, uh, which is down towards Hocking Hills in Columbus, I believe, had a fantastic Oktoberfest. Those are like my top rated. So there you go, Oktoberfest talk. Now that Oktoberfest is like way over. I have never heard of Millersburg at all, so that's oh. interesting. Oh, I it's, it's good. I don't know if you can get it outside of Millersburg, though. Yeah, I've... Uh, I've very rarely gone down to the Hocking Hills area, and I know a lot of people talk about that, that live around here. I have had my share of Hopping Frog beers, basically with the the brewery being, what, maybe a mile and a half from my house? Definitely your closest microbrew. It's so good. Their beers are amazing. They're pretty adventurous, too, so there's a lot of variety there. I'm glad that it's only a mile away. That's that's the thing. Well, it is time to check the shelf of shame. It is now at 152. Where have I been? Holy cow. Yeah, I know. Well, you've been out for three months. Yeah, I know. That's like 30 pounds lighter than last time I was on. Yeah. Oh, I know it. I know. And it was way up on the last episode, too. So due to convention that I didn't get to go to. Oh, my gosh. Due to origins. I am so jealous about Origins, which I believe you've already talked about. Yes, I'm going to be talking about something else right after The Shelf of Shame, so stay tuned for that. Oh, boy. The new additions, we just had one. uh, That was Juicy Fruits, and that was a game that I saw a lot of at Origins and heard a lot of talk about. I did go up to Gots A Lot of Games up in Parma when I got my hair done and I decided, you know what, I need to uh, I need to purchase this because it sounds pretty amazing. As far as what I got played, uh, the Borderlands Tiny Tina's Robot Tea Party game, a very small card game with a lot of take that, that will be one that we review on a later episode, probably once I can hook up with Craig for an episode. I think he would be a good candidate because he uh, did play that with me. Uh, Juicy Fruits is another one of those that I was itching as soon as I got it home. I looked at the gameplay on it and it's it looked amazing and I was pretty impressed. So definitely looking forward to talking about that one. And then one that I had gotten out to the table previously and it was kind of an error on my part. And I don't know how I forgot to mention it, but too many bones. I got to the table twice. I don't know how you forgot to mention it, because that sounded like one of your highlights of the uh, convention. Oh, yeah. It was a highlight of the convention for me, you know, not only being able to purchase it, but to play a little demo of it, but then bringing it home and getting it out to the table and really getting a good handle on it, being able to play it be able to build my character up from scratch was like oh my god this is so cool and not to mention we had our eye on it from two years ago if i recall (laughs) yes i kept saying that will it get out to the table will it not and i believe that this is something once you get done with the learning curve on it it can definitely get to the table a lot easier than i thought it could i'm super excited and i know nothing about it (laughs) yeah Someday you'll get over and you'll get to play it. Someday. I'll uh, I'll be able to teach it pretty easily, I think. Oh, for sure. 
So one thing I did want to mention before we go into our reviews is the fact that I booked the hotel for PAX Unplugged this past week. And I believe I've talked Jamie into going to PAX Unplugged. So we're going to be getting some cheesesteaks and heading off to Philadelphia in December. So hopefully that's a good idea. I'm really looking forward to it. Of course it. it will be a good idea. Oh, what, what could go wrong? Yeah, I'll, I'll be here waiting to hear about it. Well, Justin, once you kind of get through this first year, I think you'll be able to join us. Maybe a little bit more. Maybe a little more. Yeah. Yep. yep. We'll be happy I'm be, to have you back. Oh, I'm going to be dragging that little guy around the stroller at exactly. the first convention I can get to. Well, he's got he's to gotta get a taste of it. Well, absolutely. You know, get him started early. That's right. He doesn't have a choice. <laughs> well, exactly. There's so many board games waiting. I think we're going to talk a little bit about that actually today. He's probably going to be one of those kids that grows up and you know plays all the sports ball things because yeah, you know yeah. he's been dragged well, to conventions at an early age and he's like, you know, Dad, I don't want to you know go and play all these board games. This is boring. I want to go outside and play football. Like, no, you sit inside. It's not good outdoors. <laughs> He's watching football with grandma today. I'm worried about that. We're gonna we're gonna watch some Rodney Smith videos and do things like your father did. That's right. Sit still and play with cardboard. Well, in honor of our anniversary, we thought that we'd review some golden oldies this week. It's something that we kind of tend not to do. We don't revisit a lot Us of our older favorites. Yeah. Because yeah. we're constantly playing games off your shelf of shame. <laughs> 150 is a good number, but it's still a very large number. Yes, it is. We've got to go back sometimes and kind of remind ourselves of our old favorites and why we like them, and maybe some that we didn't feel held up so well. We'll see. We'll see. So the first game that we wanted to talk about today was Castles of Burgundy from 2011. It plays from two to four players in 30 to 90 minutes, designed by Stefan Feld. The artist is Julian Delval and Harold Lieske, and published by Aaliyah and Ravensburger. In Castles of Burgundy, players will act as aristocrats, building up their regions of the Burgundy region of high medieval France. Regions, regions, regions. Each part of their region requires its own type of settlement tile, and each tile will help players score or give players a different type of ability. On their turns, players roll two dice and take turns using them to get settlement tiles, place settlement tiles, deliver accumulated goods, or get workers from the supply to help mitigate their dice rolls. While players are out building their own regions, they're working from a shared pool of settlement tiles. After five rounds of five turns, the game ends, and the winner is a player with the most points. So I'm a big fan of regions, so this game was a blast. I mean, oh, exactly. yeah, this, this was still a good time. I mean, just like the first time we opened it up. I remember way back mm-hmm. on work travel in some crummy little hotel desk cramped against a wall with a stupid little lamp playing this hey, game. Hey, hey. And it was, it was a good time. The Hampton Inn in Napanee, Ontario was a lovely place. It is a nice place. It's not a great place for board games. It wasn't It wasn't a great place to play a board game in a room. No, I couldn't remember where, but I remember that little desk playing mm-hmm. Burgundy. I mean, it's, it's a fun game. I just enjoy, and I can't say exactly what about it, but even while I'm watching myself lose to you, I'm having a good time. Like, it's satisfying. I'm building, and I'm growing and developing, and I'm and I'm having a good time. I'm, I'm losing, and I can watch myself lose because we played it online, so the score is tracked, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, you always got to have a little element of ram- randomness, right? So those the, the dice rolls give you plenty of ups and downs in the game on what you're going to do, but it keeps it exciting, and you can usually find something satisfying to do out of that, right? So, you know, for those who aren't familiar with it, I find it really hard to explain because it is complex. I always say there's a lot going on, but that said, there's a lot of replay too because, you know, there 
they have some variety going into it and you're always going to build a different region each time you, know, you, know, you get into this just from the randomness and there's so many elements to it it's it's fantastic we haven't even tried the advanced layouts i don't believe um, no we haven't yeah so so there's tons of replay it's a good crunchy game and i always feel satisfied playing it yeah, and this is a game that a lot of people bring up when they talk about a lack of theme. They talk about Castles <laughs> of Burgundy, and it's it, it, the color scheme is just eh. But I I don't think anybody really cares about the theme on this at all. It's, it's I just exactly what it needs to be. <laughs> yep. Just give me the points, give me the, the chunky choices where I've got to decide between, you know, four of the market tiles that I really want. I love having just everything about that is satisfying with the, the decisions that you get to make in this. And it's really another game where you pretty much want to do everything, but you just can't. You have all these regions that you're trying to close off. Uh, the sooner that you can close those regions off, the more points that you're going to get from it. So it's really a game about timing and good decision making based on the availability of the market. Uh, and again, I mean, the design on this game is simply beautiful, but the graphic design is still incredibly drab. Even if you get the newer version of it, it's a little bit better, but it's not great. <laughs> it, it just is. It's it's kind of like the the horrible looking food that tastes amazing. <laughs> you're You're not expecting it to be so satisfying, but it is. It really is. Lots of good mitigation options, too. So anytime that you get into a game with dice rolls, you have that potential to upset a lot of players and, and people will say, well, you know, it's unfair because you're dealing with dice. I don't like dice. Or, or you just get stuck. In yeah, it. or you just get stuck. Uh, but the workers really help out with that. And I think that really does a fantastic job at mitigating those roles. And it, it can help you, you know, change your, your strategy so that you're building to something at the very least. And maybe not everything you do is, you know, your best turn, but you're always doing something useful for the most yes. part. It's not a super easy teach, in my opinion. There's a lot going on there, but relearning this was just like getting on a bike. You're able to pick it up pretty fast. I think we played initially maybe 2016, if I yeah, remember correctly. Ago. Yeah. We were able to pick it up pretty fast after that. I put this down. Uh, I don't know if it's a good quote or not. You know, if, if you want to do a third printing and put it on the box, that's fine. I'll let you do that. But this game welcomed me back to the table like royalty greeting their queen before a fancy gala. I knew I was in for a treat when I put this this onto the screen. Well, it wasn't you, on the table. Up, where did you come up with that? Um, I don't know. It, it's just how I felt. I felt just, like... Just save that know, one was, for that. Oh, geez. Now I can't remember the name of Rococo? it. Rococo? Yes. Yes. Know exactly what I was talking about. Yes. Now you're going to um, have two boxes with the same quote printed on them. Yeah, I know. Well, they can they can both use it, and it's fine. Get back, get back to the drawing board on that. Everybody use that quote for the back of your box. It's fine. Yeah, James Freeman, by the way, Hamsters vs. Hippos, use that for the back of your box, even though I haven't played it yet. And I will say that this was also a pretty decent BGA implementation that is playable on a phone. It's a little bit small, but you're able to get your tips. You're able to see what everything does. I think it's better on a screen, a larger screen, but on your phone is absolutely fine as well. I, I barely even noticed I was playing on a computer. I mean, it just, it felt like the game. So it's exactly. a perfect implementation, except yeah. maybe even a little easier because it's counting and calculating for you. And you can see just how bad you're doing. Or good yes, you're I could doing. I could quickly see how I'm just falling way, way behind, but I still, yeah. I still enjoyed it. I'm like, oh, I'm losing. This is nice. So the final judgment on this, we really need to have a felt-a-thon. Uh, because this one, it, it might be fresh. This is still probably my favorite of all of his games in mind. That said, I really need to get back to Merlin one of these days, especially with the new version that I got with all the fancy bits and all the expansions. I really do need to get back to that game. Bora Bora is another one of his that I'm really kind of dying to get back to the table. 
So there's quite a few Feld games that I've got that are looking at me and saying, hey, you, you need to revisit us too. Yeah, yeah, yes, we do, because I haven't played any of those others. There's no need to delay the, the judgment. This one's still sticking around on my shelves for a obviously. long time to come, obviously. And this is... This is a game that I absolutely believe that most gamers should play at some point in their life. Maybe not initially once they get into the hobby, oh, you've got to play this. But once you start developing your competencies, you start, you know, understanding how to build up areas, some of the basic strategies that you get from a lot of the hobby games, this is a really good experience. So that's a very good, that's a very good judgment. So that was Castles of Burgundy. And Justin, you want to introduce our next game? The other, the other castles. This is, uh, our next game is Castle Panic from 2009 plays one to six 60 minutes designed by justin dewitt and the artists are justin dewitt chad hooverter and tad lambert published by fireside games players must work together to defend their castle in the center of the board from monsters that attack out of the forest at the edges of the board players trade cards hit and slay monsters and plan strategies together to keep their castle towers intact the players either win or lose together but only the player with the most victory points is declared the master slayer players must balance the survival of the group with their own desire to win so what do you think you recently got to get back into this one we played this separately i will say not on yes. bga so this one i didn't see uh implementation of it on bga but talking to the representatives at Fireside, it kind of got me interested once I saw the deluxe version of getting my old, just standard Castle Panic back out to the table and seeing how it held up. And it instantly brought back nostalgia. Really for me, for a long time, this was my cooperative game of choice. And I actually found a picture of me playing this, uh, the Star Trek Panic variety, uh, with a bunch of friends after I had taught them up at the Malted Meeple. And it was just good feelings. You know, it, it was one of those things that really just brought back some really, really good memories. This this is so easy to get to the table, and it's really easy to explain to people how you play with the cards, uh, how you draw the monsters, how you play them on the board. It's just really easy. People can pick it up very simply and get it to the table. The other thing is the fact that it's cooperative. So when you're playing it, like other cooperative games, it's much easier to bring to the table because you're able to help other players and kind of explain their options when they're starting to pick it up. Like I said, I haven't had a player not enjoy it yet. I'll say that the difficulty can vary a little bit based on the order that the enemies come out. Uh, there are things such as bad draws in this game that mm -hmm. you get a bad order and it does kind of overwhelm you. But for the most part, the easier modes are all, you know, fairly good to deal with for, for starting players. You can get a copy of this for about 25 bucks or so at most retailers for the standard version. So it, it's really a kind of a no-brainer if you're looking for a good cooperative game, uh, especially for families. I have considered getting the deluxe edition. <laughs> it looks amazing. We got to see a close-up of it at Origins and... The, the Royal uh, We, not including me. Yeah, Jamie and myself uh, got to uh, take a look at it at Origins, and it's it's just amazing. You know, the the health kind of clicks down on the bottom of the base of the monsters. Uh, the sculpts are really good. I really, really thought that you know they did a, a wonderful job in how they brought that to life. So it was uh, it was pretty cool to see that. Finally, I thought it was really interesting to hear how they designed the character designs in the in the deluxe version that actually stemmed from the grown-up versions of my first Castle Panic, which is a very much simplified game for the younger kids. That was really cool to to hear. So That's cool. They, they grew up and the kids can grow up with, from their initial game to the uh, new version of Castle Panic. Well, maybe I'll just say it now. I probably got to pick up a copy of my first Castle Panic too. So I did have to refresh my memory on this one. I've had it sitting around forever. And I don't know why, but whenever I looked at it, I thought, oh, this must be complicated. I don't want to sit and learn the rules right now. And I think we got this as a gift like 10 years ago, roughly when it came out. 
played it with my brothers once, maybe. I can't even say if we played it right, I don't recall. I think maybe just at first glance, you look at the artwork, especially on the cover, and you say, ah, this is kind of blah, right? You know, it's, it's kind of dated on that cover, and so it just doesn't grab you. And I guess I kind of forgot about it. And so now, now that I played it again, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much potential. I, as I'm playing, I, you know, well, first I thought, I thought, oh, this is going to be too easy, right? Because I know how to play games now, right? So I thought, <laughs> I'll play hard, one of the hard modes. Whoops, no, mm-hmm. I got destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but just playing it through it once, I saw, like, I'm like, oh, man, they could make so many expansions. Sounds like I'm going to be pleasantly surprised that there are yep. a lot of expansions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so much opportunity in there. And I played it solo just to re- remember how to play it. And then I played it with uh, my wife, and we, and we had a great time. It's like, you know, it's, as you say, it's just a good, easy co-op. And I was very pleased, too, in the rules. There's such a, there's just a list of easy slash hard mode options you can play house rules special rules just to tailor it to your to your group right and so it's just a real versatile fun game so i had a lot of fun i will say admittedly i don't see it getting out much unless i have kids to play with or maybe just want to teach some light co-op game um, with a new group but i will be keeping it around for when my child is older and I'm probably going to have to pick him up my first Castle Panic, as I just said. Mm-hmm. Um, but, geez, if I had this as a kid, I would have played way less Monopoly. Me and oh, my yeah. brothers would have been sitting around this thing all Saturday afternoon. I guarantee it. Absolutely. And for my final judgment on this one, there's always space on my shelf for this. This really brought back some good memories. And really, while it plays fine solo, it's best when you bring some friends along as well to bring them in and show them, especially if they haven't gamed a lot before, just what cooperative games can do and what the the hobby games can do in general. I think this is a great introduction game uh, to get them introduced to something other than the standard board games. It's such an easy teach. The rules are incredibly straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to show people what a co-op game looks like, that it's a perfect game for that it is absolute wonderful. absolute introductory must have and that is castle panic well the next game on our list is from 2010 and that is seven wonders plays from three to seven and there's a two-player variant included but there might be a reason that you don't want to do that that we might talk about in a minute plays in 30 minutes designed by antoine bauza the artists are dimitri chepui miguel coimbra etienne hebinger and cyril nouvelle published by repos production seven wonders lasts three ages. In each age, players receive seven cards from a particular deck, choose one of those cards, and then pass the remainder to an adjacent player. Players reveal their cards simultaneously, paying resources if needed, or collecting resources, or interacting with other players in various ways. Each player then chooses another card from the deck they were passed, and the process repeats until players have six cards in play from that age. Card effects range from additional engine resources to military strength and straight victory points. Cards can also be sacrificed to work on the player's wonder, which will grant them abilities, bonuses, or points at the end of the game. After three ages, the game ends. Justin, what were your thoughts on Seven Wonders? Well, first I will say we played this on BGA as well. Turn-based again. Long Mm -hmm. turn-based. Slow. (laughs) And not knowing the game well, I think that really detracted from it. Maybe if I had been... Come, or you know familiar with it uh it might have been a little i might have known what was going on a little better but i had trouble keeping track of what your moves were and i kind of forgot what was going on each time i get back to it overall it's got a neat mix of like objectives the different ways to victory or to points i guess in in here i'm just gonna say i'm gonna save a lot of my comments till we get to the next game as well mm-hmm. seven wonders duel because there's so many similarities that i'm gonna end up repeating myself as for differences, though, well, I did win this game, <laughs> unlike the other one. Um, barely, barely, barely. But you oh, did. I, I but did. you did. And there are a lot of. They are different games. I'll just say that they're different games. The rule, the the they look similar. The theme is similar. Some mechanics are the same. Some are similar, and some are totally different. So they are different games. Um, but I think I'm going to save overall judgment for the uh, next segment. 
Uh, I don't blame you. There, There's definitely similarities and some things to talk about uh, when we talk about Duel. But this was the game that really turned me onto the drafting game genre, uh, like many others out there. This was really kind of the first, like, oh, this is a, a really unique, interesting mechanic where I only get one of the cards from this hand, and then I've got to pass it over and get a brand new hand and try to figure out the best card out of that. So th- this really kind of enlightened me to that uh, mechanic. And the game definitely goes quicker than I remember in trying to build up your engine. Before I knew it, round two had started and all of a sudden now I've got to go and try to really ramp up trying to get some victory points instead of just a whole bunch of resources. That's kind of how I started off and then really tried to build up how I was going to make those victory points in the end. So I like I didn't even notice that like one of the rounds had ended. I'm like when when the game was over I'm like what? That was two rounds. Uh, yeah, so I mean it's quick. Mm-hmm. It's quick and it advances fast, but yeah, I missed as, something there. <laughs> as long as everybody's playing their turns, it does advance fast. Yeah. And this is leading into my next point. This can handle up to seven players without a huge amount of downtime, uh, which keeps people engaged as long as you're playing it at, you know, a regular table. For BGA, it's a little <laughs> bit different yeah. because you have to wait for everybody to confirm their choices. So otherwise you're playing simultaneously, right? So that's... Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, that that 30-minute mark is actually fairly decently accurate you know and and i think uh, strategically it's fun to figure out a path to go down but i do really find that it's also really up to what my first couple of cards are and then pretty much following the symbols that are on there what do i have resources for what can i afford what's not going to make me go bankrupt yeah, i will say i didn't have a deep strategy i just kind of looked at each hand and I said that card's cheap or that card fits this and and moved on from there and it worked so maybe that's a good thing maybe that's a bad thing I don't know and BGA does calculate that for you as well it pretty much tells you hey this is how much you have to pay if you want to put this card down Uh, sometimes it's free but it'll handle all the linking and cost of resources and everything for you yeah that was that part of it was pretty slick a lot of people call this a gateway game I would actually disagree with that. I think that a better gateway drafting game would be Sushi Go or Sushi Go Party. I acquired that shortly after getting Seven Wonders and was way easier for me to explain. And I would say more accessible thematically uh, to newer players. I'm I'm gonna jump in with one of my points I was saving, but this and Seven Wonders Duel, I felt kind of overwhelmed with the variety of cards and the unique individual cards and the listing. And I thought, boy, if I really want to be good at this, I feel like I need to research this table, but I didn't Mm -hmm. have the time or energy to do it. You know, that was intimidating. So yeah, I absolutely agree. Sushi Go, especially Party, it's the better Mm -hmm. version, is, Mm -hmm. is... right there straightforward and it's fun quick time too well it says exactly what on the card it does you're not trying to put together so with seven wonders you've got the science route which you're trying to gain similar symbols there's some that are just straight up victory points those are pretty easy to figure out what they do and then you have the guild cards that come out at the end that are very symbology heavy that rely on your knowledge of what each of those are whereas sushi go party like i said it's right there on the card It's very easy to see, and I think that thematically, again, between playing with a bunch of ancient Greek or Roman or whatever theming to, you know, cute sushi with faces on it, I I think there's a clear winner on which would probably be more accessible and more kind of fun uh, to to newer players. The, The theme fits the weight on both of those games. Yes, I remember this being a nightmare to teach to the large group of players I had when I started my game nights in 2016. Uh, There were a ton of confused people at the table wondering what the heck these symbols are. What has she gotten us into? You have really mastered your teaching skills since then, though, too. You are quite the pro instructor, so that might be part of it. I, I think I was just starting to try to develop my teaching skills at that point too so that probably didn't help but 
I, I had a way, again, easier time teaching a game like Sushi Go than Seven Wonders. Quite. I, I didn't even want, I, I don't even want to watch like a how-to video anymore. I'm like, Arwen, just tell me how to play it. I don't, I don't want to watch that. Just tell me <laughs> Well, how thank play. you. Thank you. you you're that means a lot it. to me. We could make other videos where you teach and I, and I sit there and watch. Well, you know, it, it is a little bit off topic, but I did think about maybe making some videos based on individual game uh, mechanic concepts. So like what is worker placement? What is drafting? Things I could do in a, a real quick time frame. So mm. if that's of interest, please let me know because I'm thinking about making those because I know that some people that are newer might listen and say, hmm, I have what no idea these, what she's what talking, about. talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so back to Seven Wonders, it isn't going anywhere. I still really enjoy the game. I'm hoping that I'm at least a little bit of a better teacher next time that I have to teach it to new players at the very least uh, at a actual table. And I do need to get it out with the Babel expansion. It's one that has sat there on my shelves for years. It looks cool. You get all these different like little bonus abilities. I think that the players actually wind up sharing and kind of changes up the whole dynamic of the game weird. as well. So I really want to get that out to the table I would at like some to point. try that. So that was Seven Wonders. All right. Since I already spoiled the surprise, next up is <laughs> Seven Wonders Duel from 2015. It is two players and two players only. Plays in 30 minutes. Uh, designed by Antoine Baza and Bruno Cathala. That's, that's interesting. Artist mm-hmm. Miguel Coimbra. Published also by Repos Production. So what's different about Seven Wonders Duel from regular Seven Wonders is it's just for two players. Um, and then instead of drafting from a hand of cards you pass back and forth, you have a, an array of face-up and face-down cards. It's different each round, but think like a Solitaire Pyramid or something to that effect. So you have a strategy in how you select and or uncover cards as you play. Uh, So as in the original game, each card can be built, discarded for money, or used to construct your wonder. Each player starts with four wonder cards, and the construction of a wonder provides you with some unique special ability. And then only seven out of those eight wonders can be built, so one person will always end up short. A player can win seven wonders in one of three ways, which is, I think, a little more unique too. You can sway your military might all the way to one end of the track and win immediately. You can collect six out of the seven science symbols to also win immediately. Uh, Otherwise, it's the player with the most points at the end of the game. So, what do you think about Seven Wonders Duel? So, this is probably one of the rare exceptions, much like movies, where the sequel, uh, or the two-player game, in this case, is better than the original, in my opinion. Apparently, a lot of other people, especially on Board Game Geek, tend to agree with me on this. Uh, It's still one of my favorite two-player games of all time, period. And there's there's been a, an increasing amount of two-player games that I've been playing that have been really solid, but for a while, there were a lot of games I was like, this just does not play well at two at all. And this one was definitely one of my favorites uh, for a long, long time and still is. I've never won with science, but I still think about trying every once in a while. You know, I think you might have been trying for that. Well, I will say that even if you're not... there's still advantages of doing science, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's not like a complete waste if you get only five out of the six. You still got something for it. So, you know, and that's that's something good about this game. It's, it doesn't doesn't force you to take only one track. I think I was trying to win in all three ways. Mm -hmm. And, and of course, then I lost. So maybe that's part of it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting mix between diversification and really trying to make sure that your opponent doesn't gain an advantage on one of the tracks. That, that was a lot of what I did was keeping cards from you. Yes, especially when it comes to science. So basically, if somebody collects all the different science symbols, they win. Or military, and the military track is just a very fierce tug of war, Mm -hmm. uh, where if the military track gets all the way to one side, that person wins. So that's really 
one of the very interesting things and the really cool gameplay dynamic is really trying to understand what your opponent is trying to do and really block them from getting too far in one thing. This is a a really big game experience in a very small box size. It's a little tiny box, but there's a lot in there. And I feel that the pyramid drafting format just makes the draft so much more tense and satisfying. You can see what's out there uh, to a certain extent. To some degree. You can see kind of what's coming up and you can see what your opponent's going for. So you're starting to plan moves in advance, which makes it very, very tense. I, I really like that. Again, with this, there's just way more hate drafting and blocking in this game. It's really more about trying, you know, to advance your position, but also make sure that your opponent isn't advancing theirs. And may, and maybe that was part of the trouble I had, is that not knowing what else I should be doing, I felt, nope, I just got to block Arwen, and I spent too much time doing that. Yeah, you got to do both at the same time. I mean, it, that's that's really the name of this game is trying to squeak out points when you can. And then sometimes the best solution is just to throw cards away for coins uh, so your opponent can't get to a card and that leaves you in a better position that if you do have to pay a lot of money for a card that you really want, you have the funds to get it. And I think that there's a reason that it's still number 16 on BGG. It's just such an exceptional game. Extremely well done. Yeah. Yeah, Justin, what are your thoughts on this? So, uh, as with Seven Wonders, it was hard to keep track of with the turn-based play, and so I felt quite lost. We played twice, you destroyed me both times. I don't know if it's that I didn't, I didn't feel a lot of excitement during this game. Was it just because I was losing so bad? Was it because of the stretched out online format? I don't know, but you know, I'll compare it to earlier with Burgundy. We played that twice and you crushed me, and, but I had fun <laughs> each time, you know. I'm like, I'm losing, but this is fun. So I don't know what the problem was exactly. I felt like too many of my moves were not, like, there's nothing I want there, so I'm just going to try to prevent leaving you wide open for cards you do want, or if I take something, I know I'm going to give you what you want. And again, comparing to Burgundy, it's like I felt like I always had a lot of to choose from a variety of good options, and in this and seven other seven wonders, I, I felt like I had to pick from bad and worse options more often than not. Now, again, was it because I couldn't keep track of what was going on? Very possibly, right? As as you, you've pointed out, many many people on board game B could probably disagree with me or tell me I'm wrong here, and maybe they're right because I haven't given it a full shake yet. This is a different game than regular Seven Wonders. The theme and some of the mechanics are very similar, so I think you can just dive right into them, right? I mm -hmm. didn't even watch a how-to, I don't think, uh, when we got to the second game because I'm like, yeah, this, this is pretty close. You just have to be aware, though, that there are differences in the mechanics in both scoring, buying, and winning. So, you know, but once you're aware of that, it, it makes it easy to get to. Um, I kind of touched on this already, but there are a lot of very unique cards and a lot of cards that synchronize with other cards etc that i almost felt that i needed to research and or memorize the uh the the card map the tech card tree, reference essentially yeah the, tree. Yeah, the tech tree yeah. uh, if i wanted to be good at it and that was that was kind of frustrating especially in the turn-based play so i'm torn like i didn't have a great time um, but I look at all the mechanics and connections and the multiple avenues to victory, which is really cool because especially in Seven Wonders Duel, I think this is where it stands out against regular Seven Wonders is you have these different routes to victory, the military, the science, and the regular points. So it keeps the game, keeps you on your toes, make you have to watch out for multiple angles. I like that. I think it's clever because they're all very different. It's not just mm -hmm. three ways to win. It's three very different ways to win. So I look at all that and think, boy, if I just look at it and say, oh, I'm going to love this game, but I didn't have a good time. And I think maybe it's just because we strung it out so long, playing a few turns a day or something. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame it on that. 
you know, and again, I, that's not to say the BGA format is terrible. It actually does a really good job, especially automatically calculating your costs and choices and things. And then, and then as I see that Bruno it was involved in, in mm-hmm. making this game, it's like, no, I must be wrong. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to get back to this. I think, though, I would say I really want to play this in person or at least live online because I was just too lost to, to really have a good time. I just kind of followed the cards and said, okay, this looks like a good one. No strategy. So, so that's that's, that's why I was going to mention. I kind of thought that you know maybe at some point uh, we need to get this out in person. I think from the tech tree aspect of things, it, it's really if you're going to specialize in one strategy, that's where I really just start looking at the symbols on the cards and making sure that they're feeding into something later, so that I'm able to go and pick that up. You know, so if I've got a card that is a three point, I can't remember what they're called. I just call them buildings. It's going to feed into something that's seven points later. And if I'm really looking to get the strategy going where I'm going into these buildings, I want to make sure that there's it's linking to something that I'm going to be able to pick up free later. So which which would then say that, yeah, you're going to have to reference that. That, yep. car, that reference that tech tree that rules book frequently during the game yeah and well hopefully you're not the only player doing that and driving everyone else nuts so yeah i think that there is a distinct advantage for people who have played the game before and kind of know what the cards are going to do mm-hmm. you know that your science cards are going to branch off into and link into other science cards that you're going to get free for later you know that you're military cards are going to lead to better military cards later. Those are the kinds of things that you just kind of inherently know after you've played a few rounds that you don't necessarily need the instruction manual for, although it's helpful. But I will say that the BGA version does put a little reference to it down on the bottom of the screen, which does help. Now, the tool tips on that implementation are, are fantastic. Yes, yes, they are but I do think it's just the asynchronous play that kind of turns you off to, you know, not having to make immediate decisions. You've got a strategy and maybe you're thinking about it and then you're waiting for, you know, a day and you come back to it the next night and you're like, what was I doing again? I think that doesn't help either. Yeah, I think that was probably the whole problem. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be negative on this game. I'm gonna give it definitely another chance. Yeah, yeah, definitely want to play it in person for sure. And this is, again, one of the dual games I really prefer to the original format, and it's not going anywhere. I do highly recommend this to uh, anyone wanting a great two-player experience. You can play it on Board Game Arena. You don't have to play it asynchronous. You can play it at the same time. That would be much recommended. Yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend playing it uh, simultaneously back and forth, I think that's a good way of getting an idea of whether or not you like it. Um, But if you're looking for something with a great two-player experience, this is definitely one to check out, Seven Wonders Duel. And stick around because we do have a segment coming up about language agnostic games. Stay tuned. And we're back, and we wanted to talk today about language agnostic games. So when we talk about that, Justin, what exactly was the request that we had about this? So I got to think back. So a mutual friend of ours was traveling overseas and going to go see family and said, oh, you know, a lot of them don't speak English. You know, and I said, and first, I don't know if there actually was a request that, hey, you guys like games. Do you want to recommend something? Or if we just said, hey, how about we recommend some games for you to take? I don't remember how that went down. There may not have been a request. It, we might just have done so. But so be it. It happened. I do distinctly remember you came up to me and uh, I, I think I was at Origins at the time. You sent me a message and said, she's going over to see your family we need to figure something out i don't know if it was a direct request or not but it was either you saying that or it was her saying that you need to leave me out of it was i just helped facilitate it 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 was not you yes it could have just been me saying that 
let me help you with this problem, <laughs> this problem you didn't know you had. Exactly. But that's, but that's kind of that's kind of what I'm getting to with this is. So I don't even want to say just language agnostic games, but I was thinking like just non-intimidating games too for like the unindoctrinated, right? So there's lots of fun, simple, easy to teach games that you have on your shelf. And you recommended like cartographers, for example. And I said, no, Mm -hmm. hold on. It's an easy game. It's easy to teach. But I think it's intimidating to people who only know like Monopoly, Checkers, family games, right? Because mm-hmm. you just look at it and you say, oh, I don't, I don't want to have to learn something, right? And I think when mm-hmm. you sit down with family for a game night, people aren't always looking for a learning thinking experience. They just want to sit down, play, and have a casual fun time while they throw cards around, right? Now, that said, there are a lot of games on your shelf that are those games. People just don't know it. And they can be just as good as good a time, if not more, than these traditional family, you know, euchre nights or something, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I and again, to the whole thing of this probably wasn't even a request. I just insinuated myself. It's just it's just something that I kind of like feel because I grew up in we play in a family gaming culture. We played a lot of games, but it was the same stuff over and over for the most part. We had a, I had a couple war gamers and such and more adventurous folks in the family that kind of, you know, showed me some things, but I never really latched on. Right. So we sit down every single family gathering and play up and down the river on one side of the family and at every family gathering. And it's a great game, by the way, I will happily teach it or describe it to anyone who wants to know about it. But I kind of want to, you know, show people other things get people out of the rut right so that's how this came about i'm thinking more and more that it probably wasn't even a request and i just i just forced myself in there yeah yeah hey you have a problem you don't know it but we're gonna fix it for you we're here to help yeah so then you came to me and said hey we've got to help her because yeah, my brain doesn't work and i know that you know games 10 times better than i do so I started bumping some games around in my head and trying to figure out what would be good. You know, what checks all these boxes? I, and, will, I will say I knew No Thanks would be on that list. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because No Thanks is just about on any list that we have when we're talking about beginner gamers. It's it's one that I still firmly believe that if you're looking to get into the hobby... Uh, no matter what, No Thanks is going to be a great game that you can take anywhere and teach in about three minutes and you're up and running. And you don't have to be sitting there for any extended period of time. I've had some nights where I've scored it and been like really serious about it. And then other nights where I didn't care about the score, it was like at the end of every hand who won kind of thing. Uh, and that was it. And we just played multiple rounds and just had a good time. It's one of those kinds of games that you can be as serious as you want about it. We, we've said it before, but it's a must have. Absolutely. Every, everybody, everybody. But it's, it. it's cards, it's chips, there's numbers, and that's it. So as long as one person is able to teach the game, which the rule set is super simple, it's no big deal to get this out. Uh, The second game that I thought of was Llama, which was another kind of surprise hit a couple of years ago with Mm me. I can't remember if it was Spiel des Jahres. Um, I think it was. I don't think it was a Kenner Spiel. I think it was a Spiel that it was either nominated for one and kind of took me by surprise. I'm like, okay, this this little card game. And we've had some great times with it. Absolutely. Um, You know, and this one is numbered cards one through six. You have your llama cards, and again, you have chips of two different colors. One's white, one's black. Uh, Very easy to see, no color blindness issues, which is also a big thing for me. Great game, really, really solid game. I think that Llama is another one of those games that can really fit into this. I wasn't sure about the third, and I wanted to make sure that she had a third to give her some variety so that they really saw, like, oh, there's all these cool games, and, you know, we've been 
missing out and we want to explore this a little bit more because that's the hobby gamer and myself trying to spread the love of gaming to all the corners of the planet we are we are pushers we really think we're helping people we're just pushing yeah we're just like please play these games so this one i wasn't sure i thought about 10 by aeg which i think would have been another good choice uh that's a recent one that follows a lot of the same guidelines um but eric uh, got a lot of games uh chimed in as well and he said and i swear eric doesn't sponsor me um i i, I, I think i think you sponsor eric because i think i sponsor eric week buying games from it well every time i get my hair done i'm i'm there but so i kind of brought this up to him and i said you know here's kind of what i'm thinking these are the games that i definitely want to pick up what else do you recommend and he said parade and when i watched a video you know i picked it up first of all and then when i watched a video on how to play it i'm like i should just grab myself a copy of this because this sounds awesome You'll have to wait till next weekend. Well, my birthday is coming up, so maybe that'll be a nice little gift for myself. Treat treat yourself. Treat yourself like I do every two months anyways, or less. Yes. No, Parade, it, it just sounds like a really cool concept where you're playing down a card out of your hand, and then you have this line or this parade of cards, mm -hmm. uh, numbered one through 10 in six different suits, I believe. And when you play down the card, the number that's on it is the amount of cards that are safe. Um, so if you play down a, a four, you count out four cards, and then those are the ones that are safe. The rest of the line, if you have a card that matches the number or the color that's on there, and the colors are also denoted by different characters out of the Alice in Wonderland uh, fairy tales, um, or book or whatever. What 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 is Alice in Wonderland? I, I guess, children's I guess book. A, I guess it's a book. Yeah, uh, it's a yeah. it's a book. It's an old book, so almost fairy tale. Yeah. So it's either the the number or the color uh, or the character, however you want to see it. If you have one that matches the card that you played, you have to take all those cards. And then there's different scoring conditions. If you have the most of one color you get to flip that over and then you count up points and points are based on the face value of the cards that you took uh the cards that are flipped over are worth one point a piece uh so it, it really seemed like a cool uh fascinating game and probably like the third game of that series i would teach because it's got a little bit more complexity but it it sounds like it would be simple enough that you could teach it to to just about anybody so yeah, those were the three that we basically picked up for. I'm hoping that she likes them. I'm hoping for a report back very soon when she goes over and teaches them. But yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was something. If you're looking for something that's super easy to teach, doesn't require a lot of language or any language in this case, mm -hmm. uh, those are three that you can really get together. And it's not uh, like Justin said, not anything that's super intimidating. And, and again, just the, by the nature of not being language dependent, it means it's going to be a pretty straightforward, simple game. You know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a deck of cards. They're just different decks of cards. Finally, I know that you had just said it at the top of the show, but I went back and I listened to the very first episode that we did. And boy, what a train wreck it was. D don't, don't do that. Don't go back and watch yeah. this. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I it was it's one of my most listened episodes. <laughs> and I'm like don't go back and start from the newest ones and then work your way backwards so that you know you can you can kind of give us a break. Get warmed up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It was, it was pretty rough. I made it about 2 minutes in. Like, eh, yeah, nope. Yeah. We have gotten better, I believe, over the Ooh, over the so. course of the years. And then so. finally, uh, the last thing that I wanted to mention was if you haven't seen the episode of Board Game Binge that I was on, please go and check that out. I had a wonderful time being interviewed by James on there. And, and just the half hour flew by 
like nobody's business. It was such a cool experience, and we got to talk about some really, really neat topics. I really enjoyed that. Let's see. I guess I have to watch that because this hour is just dragging on. Exactly. Well, we should probably let people go. So... If you would like to know more about Cardboard Time, you can always go to our website at CardboardTime.com. Our Instagram and Twitter is at Cardboard underscore Time. I have uh, Instagram at at JPHomer98. And someone please send me some hate mail so I get my button gear and start posting things again. All these Legos piling up that need to be shared. You've got pictures, you just haven't posted them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Things are busy over here. Yeah, things might be a little bit busy there for for right now. Our Board Game Geek podcast page is up, and any questions, suggestions, or ideas for discussion topics, please email cardboardtime at gmail.com. And as always, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you around the table in two weeks for another episode of Cardboard Time. Happy gaming.